The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Matthew chapter 23, I want you to open it up. And uh, Jesus gives, uh, this is a, one of his last messages in between um, Palm Sunday and Friday where he was crucified. So we've been going over the last uh, few weeks, these messages, these are the last words of Jesus, They're the last teachings of Jesus while he was on earth, before his death, burial, and resurrection. And this morning's message is very unique. Um, it is a, a series of woes. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and some of the hypocrites there, and he's saying, woe to you. Woe to you, you hypocrites. So it turns out that there are eight woes. So what I'm going to do is, if you were here when we began the series of the Gospel of Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 5, there's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, you know, kind of the only complete sermon of Jesus we have in the Gospels. And interestingly, there are what are called the Beatitudes. And you know how many of them there are? Eight of them. So what we're going to do is we're going to compare the eight Beatitudes, this is what you ought to be, attitudes to be, uh, versus the eight woes, woe is you if you are like this. So we're only going to do the first four uh, this morning, and we'll do the last four and part two of it. But let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Father, we come before you and welcome, welcome, welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit that is here this morning. And Father, I do believe that this is a very uh, pertinent, powerful uh, message that is much needed. And in this time in which we live, so much uh, division, uh, fighting, uh, even on a human level, uh, the, the level of conflict, chaos, is disturbing. Um, and for your sheep, we who are still here waiting uh, for your kingdom to come, longing to be with you. We need your word to give us comfort, to give us direction. Uh, we need spiritual, heavenly, divine bread. So I pray that today your word would descend upon us and that we would hear what the Lord is saying. This is of your mouth, out of your heart, uh, for such a time as this. May we hear it and may we receive it. And may it, Lord, be like a seed planted that will bear fruit in our lives today, let alone in this coming week and at this season that we're all living in. We ask it in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so number one, I'm going to put it this way. Entering the kingdom or shutting the kingdom out. The first beatitude is blessed, oh how happy is another way of saying it, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the whole you know, message begins with what? I thought it would say blessed are those who are super spiritual, but that's not what Jesus does and that's not how he begins. He begins with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what, what is good about that is it really begins on the, the ground that the Lord knows that we are poor spiritually. And that's why he came to give us salvation is not earned. Salvation is a gift received. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. 
It's a gift. So blessed are the poor in spirit. But then what Jesus says here in verse 13, look with me in verse 13. Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. His two favorite words in this are woe and hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. He goes, you're like a closed door to heaven. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. This is quite an indictment. Um, so look, the, the Bible honors those who follow the Lord, love the Lord, uh, and who are faithfully to represent God and seek no self-glory. On the other hand, uh, there, there is no more of a person condemned than a religious hypocrite who says one thing, does another, God's most furious wrath is reserved for those who parade around as his representatives, but in reality only serve themselves. So th these verses are, uh, they're powerful. They're very direct. Woe is you. Now, the Hebrew word for woe, little Hebrew, little Yiddish is oi. That's what Jesus is saying. So you guys got to give me an oi. Oi. Okay, that was, that was not bad, but let me tell you what the word means so you can say it again with a little bit of more oomph, okay? Oi means it's like you're overwhelmed or you're shocked or you're surprised or it's really bad or you can't believe it and it's oi. So I want you to say oi. There you go. That's what Jesus was saying. And what, what I want you to realize is he is, and what he says here is very, very direct. He goes, you guys, you Pharisees. Now, I want to say this about the Pharisees. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It, you know, a lot of times the gospel is, oh, the Pharisees. So we think of all the religious Jews. And that's not true. The Pharisees were only one sect within the religious community, and they were not really the majority. They were, there were only about 6,000 of them. And even not all of them were bad. Some of them were honest, sincere, seeking, like Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus, maybe even Gamaliel later on as we read about in the book of Acts. And after the Holy Spirit came and poured out in Acts, it says many of them became believers and part of the church. But there were some of them uh, that, that really represented something that Jesus is going, he's looking at these religious guys and he goes, you guys think you are the doorkeepers of heaven. He goes, I got news for you. You're not even going to heaven right now unless you change and get this. And not only are you not going to heaven, the people that are following you, you're keeping people out. You are like a shut door to them. And he is saying, whoa, oi, wake up. He's definitely pressing on something. Now, so what was the deal? What, what's really the heart and the issue of what's going on here? If I can put it this way, because you've never met a Pharisee, but we read about them in the Bible, it's basically their view of spirituality and relationship with God was all external. It was all based on performance. It was all kind of how you look to other people and you keep your reputation as being really kind of a little bit better than everybody else a little holier than thou. And that really irked Jesus. He did not like that one bit. And he said, and you are making other people just like you, and you're not going into the kingdom, and nor are the people following you going into the kingdom. So he wanted them to realize, here's what Jesus is saying in contrast to that, the religious hypocrisy. And by the way, I know that there are many of you here, let alone those who are listening, 
and watching online, wherever they are. Many of you were raised in a religious environment or, or tradition or whatever it was that was really external, very rules-based. If I could put it this way, legalistic. The Pharisees were very legalistic. And Jesus said, wow, you're following all these little details, but you're missing the whole point. And here's what, so what is God really after? He's not looking for the, our outward performance. He, God is looking on our inward what? Say the word, heart. God Almighty is interested in your heart. You want to go to heaven, then the key and the doorway to heaven is through your heart, not through your performance, not by amassing and accumulating a bunch of good deeds. All of that has its place, and, but that flows out of a heart that has actually been transformed. God wants your heart. In fact, uh, there was, you know, the King David at that time, but, but Israel originally had Saul. And Saul was the choice of the people. God let the people choose. You want a king? Rather, you, you don't want me to rule over you. So you want a king? Be like everybody else? Okay, pick your king. So they picked a guy that they thought was perfect. He was tall. Saul was very tall. He was handsome. He had a certain air and authority about him. He looked good under a crown. He knew how to talk to other nations and people kind of looked at him. Now, the problem with Saul is it was all show. It was all outward. And as you begin reading the story of this man that everybody chose because he looked good on the outside, but what was missing was heart. He was a coward. He was selfish. He used his crown and authority and position basically to try to make himself look good. He wanted a good reputation rather than being a good man. And finally, God said, done, I'm done with you. Saul has been rejected. He told his prophet, Samuel, I want you to go down to the house of Jesse. One of his sons is going to be the king. I'll tell you which one. Go down there now to his house. So he goes down to, here's the prophet Samuel. He goes to the house. He's got these eight sons. And so the oldest one comes in. One of your sons, uh, you know, the prophet Samuel says, is going to be the next king. God has rejected Saul. So, wow, he brings in his oldest son, tall, handsome, uh, you know, carried himself very, very well. And the Lord said, nah, it's not him. Oh, really? Okay. Well, the next oldest son. No, it's not him. The next one, the next one. He goes through all seven of them. Finally, he looks at him and he goes, none of these have been chosen. And it's not like dad is offering. He goes, well, yeah, I got one more. But he's the littlest guy. He, he's a boy. He's out with a sheep. And Samuel said, well, you better go get that guy because... I've not seen him and I can't leave your house until I hear and honor the word of the Lord and anoint. And so David walks in, little David, young David, teenage David. He walks in, yeah, dad. And there's this guy standing there, Samuel the prophet. Samuel looks at David and goes, oh no. Oi, is that the best you, I mean, he, he judged him in his heart. He's little, he's a guy. He just wasn't impressive. He wasn't fully grown even yet. And God speaks to the prophet Samuel right then. He says, do not judge by outward appearance. For God does not look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And this is a man after my own heart. God has want, wanted and desires a family of men and women, sons and daughters who are all 
heart. He wants to change you and transform you. Not outward, I got to do this, I got to do that, and rules and regulations and legalism and guilt and, and all of that. That is religion. No. He goes, I want you to give me your heart because I can change your heart. I can change your desires so that you will not want the things that are damaging, unhealthy, and dark, and that you desire the things that are of my kingdom, of my spirit, of my joy, of my love, of my peace, that I'll put, I'll change your heart. And not only will I give you new desires, but because my spirit will be in your heart, I will give you the power to do what you desire to do that is honoring to me. Christianity works from the inside out, not the outside in. That's what Jesus was saying. So there is, a, there is a healing because man's tendency is to always drift back to, because hard work is hard sometimes. It's easier to give me, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And God is going, no, I want to do something different. Jeremiah chapter uh, 20, verse 9. There was a time when God sent this prophet Jeremiah, and he kept telling him, go to the king. And, and God was trying to get the heart of the nation of Israel because they were stopping to worship God, and they started worshiping idols. And it was breaking God's heart. So he sent Jeremiah, tell them if they don't stop, they're going to lose their nation. Tell them if they don't knock this off, I'm going to let their enemies come and, and take them over. Tell them if they keep worshiping idols, they can do it, but not in my house, not in my face, not in Jerusalem. I'll send them to Babylon, the capital of idolatry. And I'll send you there for 70 years. And in 70 years, I will cure you of idolatry. You'll reach a place at the end of 70 years that you'll do anything just to get God bring us home so we can worship you instead of all this nonsense that we're surrounded with and God would bring them back. Well, Jeremiah got tired of, you know, he, you know the king would say, so what does God say? And he'd say, well, he'd say this, you're, you're blowing it. You need to repent and Babylon's coming. You better get ready. And the king said, ah, stop. I don't want to hear that. And Jeremiah got to the point where he said, Lord, I don't want to speak for your name and on your behalf anymore because nobody likes what I say. They don't like what you say. So find somebody else. I'm not talking for you anymore. Find another prophet. Because it gets discouraging when you keep telling the truth and people keep saying, I don't want to hear that. So here's what happened, though, to Jeremiah. And here's what will happen to you and I if we try to quench the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Let's read it out loud. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. When God gets inside of your heart, I want you to hear this. Here's a sign that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. Your heart begins to burn. It literally begins to burn. The Pharisees, were, they had got, because look, when you live with your whole heart like that, it's, it's not easy. It takes everything, all your whole mind, your body, your strength, your heart, your emotions, it all gets wrapped up in there. It's a lot easier to check off boxes. Well, I did this, I performed that, and you know, give me the, the rules, and then we like to guard our heart, protect our heart. And God is going, no, I want you to live from the heart. And if you live from the heart, there's going to be fire. And the fire, you feel the fire. You will, with the Holy Spirit, when he's working on you, you feel it. And here's my prayer for you. In the name of Jesus, I am praying that in this time, God will give every single one of us a holy heartburn. I mean, where your heart is 
on fire and you try to, well, I'm not going to do a devotion. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not even going to go to church or I don't, God, don't, quit talking to me. And, and God will just say, I'm going to put a fire inside of you that will burn until you finally respond to me because I'm not going to let you grow cold and dark and empty anymore. Amen. So the Lord is really laying it down. Jesus is rolling like thunder here. Uh, and so he just kept saying, you know, woe is you. So let's go to the next one. In verse 14, comfort those who mourn and don't take advantage of them. So verse 14, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So again, oi, you're bothering me. You scribes and Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Why were they praying so long? Because they really wanted to commune with God? No, they wanted to pray long enough that somebody was walking by and listening to them went, wow, they sure pray a long time. They must be more holy than everybody else. Ah, that's what I was looking for. Pat me on the back. Oh, yes, I can't, you know, but thank you. I am so holy. I pray so much. But then they really, but they had no compassion. They would see a widow and they were not concerned with her. They did not care for her. There was no sensitivity uh, to those who are suffering loss. And again, Jesus is saying, comfort those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The first thing that, that God does to your heart is you begin grieving over your sinfulness and your brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you begin confessing your sins, he forgives you. He washes you. He cleanses you. Uh, he, it's not like he's trying to, you know, ground you to, into powder. He's like, good, you agree with me. This is hurting you. Stop, you know, stop hitting yourself. Stop hurting yourself. And then you awaken to a new love for the Lord. So they, they had no compassion. Uh, they, they, they were religious. They were representing God. And they could pass a widow and it was just like, a, you know, I don't want to get involved in that. It's too emotional. And Jesus is saying, are you kidding me? Do you know, widows is something that is taught from the old and into the new. And so I want to just for a moment talk about that because I know we have widows who are in not only this church and here in this message, but that are part of your family tree or friends or people that you know that are widows. And whether it's been just a short time or it was a decades-long relationship, suddenly when literally the Bible says to become one. So when one of them leaves or dies, it's like being cut in half. And, and the weight of that lostness and, and all is, is very, very palpable. And God right now is a spirit. We're not in heaven. So he wants to comfort those who are widows. Where are his arms to comfort them? Where is his face to give them some kindness? Where is a mouth with a heart that will say, I notice you, I see you, I've been thinking of you, I care for you, I'm praying for you. It is us. And of all, it would be the Pharisees who are supposed to be, we're representing God in heaven. And they're walking by and they're not moved or in any way caring about widows. And not only widows, but orphans. The Bible talks about orphans. 
And orphans are, you know, we, we live in a society now where, you know, it was a, a day that's already passed by when a child would be born into a, a normal family, healthy family, got mom who was there the whole time you're growing up and dad who was there the whole time you're growing up and you got brothers and you got sisters and maybe some central faith in a community where you grow up in that. It's for most people that that is very rare in this day. So many divided families and divorces and issues and uh, brokenness and separation and all the rest of it. So we have a whole generation of young people that are growing up and they, are, they don't look like it on the outside because they're sharp and they're handsome or cute and they're gifted and talented, but they are walking wounded. They, they are orphans. They feel alone. They, they, there's something missing in their life. So let me just put it this way. What Jesus was saying to the religious community, the leaders there, is that, that the family, and this is what the church is to become, this is where you get a new family. Whatever was not there or missing for you as you were growing up, and you need a father who will come up, put his hand on your shoulder, look you in the eye, and say, I see your potential, and I honor that. You're gifted, you're talented, you're smart. But there's even more that God has for you, where a brother comes up to you. And so what I want to say is that God used, that's who we are. Maranatha, the, the chapel, this church, it's a congregation, it's a community, it's a family. It's your new family. And you, you get uh, with that new dads. You get a bunch of spiritual men, not that are perfect, but that are humble before God that can speak into your life. Let them speak into your life. And I say to the fathers, speak into the lives of those young people who need a father's voice and encouragement. And you get a whole new group of women who become spiritual moms, who see, who care, who are concerned, who don't just let them all cruise around, but when they notice something, as Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, when a widow passes you by, and you don't even give her a, you don't even want to look, I don't want to get involved. No, you look and you see and you seek and you help and you care. And that's what the body of Christ, it's kind of like we get to be reparented. We get it, so look, all, all of the men here that are, that are fathers, you become spiritual fathers. You have many fathers now. You have many spiritual mothers. All of you guys that are in here, you're my brothers. And all of you girls that are in here, you are my sister. And I am your friend. And what that means is, that your friends are now my friends. Anybody that's good to you, blesses you, I'm, I'm good with them. I like them. They're my friend too. Anybody tries to hurt you or mess with you, I'm going to beat them up personally. I'll, I'll beat, you just come to me. I'll go beat, let's go beat them up. <laughs> it's where you take it in such a personal way that you literally, you, you, whatever, whoever God brings before you and brings into your sphere of influence, you are spiritually sensitive because of your heart to notice what situation they're in, and you're thinking outside of yourself, I bet they could use a word of encouragement. I bet they could use some prayer. Or you look at them and you go, wow, everything looks good on the outside, but I sense something's not so good on the inside. How are you doing, sister? What's really going on? And you press in a little bit. And that's what Jesus was doing with these Pharisees. You guys should be the ones who are ministering, loving, reflecting, radiating the love of the Father into them, but it's not happening, and it should be, and it can be, and it's a wonderful thing that we get to do that. Now, let's go on to the next one. Verse 15, Jesus then goes on to say that the meek we know inherit the earth. Jesus said that in the Beatitudes, but the proud 
sends souls to hell. Look at this in verse 15. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, oy, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and that means a convert to your way of thinking, which for a Pharisee would be legalism, and when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Okay, everybody look up here for a second. These, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you guys are the children of the devil and the, your disciples are the sons of hell. Does that sound nice to you? <laughs> but who is saying it? Jesus is saying it. There are many people who have the concept that being a Christian is being nice all the time. And look, there's nothing wrong with being nice and niceness and goodness and all of that. But, and here's what the, the, where the rubber meets the road. Jesus was coming up to these guys and he was poking them like with a finger by his words. Oi, woe is you, you hypocrites. And he's getting there, he's stabbing them in the chest. He's poking them. Do I have your attention now? You're going to hell. And those following your legalistic outward form of religion are also on their way to hell. What are you thinking and what are you doing? The meek shall inherit the earth. Those who are humble, those who are teachable, those who are sensitive, those who are open to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, those who live out of and from their heart. Now, it's interesting that Jesus talks about hell. Uh, hell is a real place. I mean, I love heaven. I want to go to heaven. I'm sure all of you want to go to heaven. But according to Jesus, he, he never said, well, it's like a parable or it's this or that. It was like, no, it's real and it's a place. And it burns with another kind of fire that never is quenched and never goes away. So we, and he said, don't go there. And I'm trying to keep you from that. I remember one time playing football and I was in high school. And, you know, when you're in high school, and I love football, it's my first love. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I felt surely I was called to be an NFL pro quarterback until, anyway. <laughs> so, but there's one time I remember, um, you know, you're a high schooler and practice and you're going on. And one time a coach came up to me and he, he hit me in my shoulder and just like, bam, like that, like, whoa. And he was mad. He's like, Bentley, where's your head? Get in the game. We're talking about this is who we're playing Friday and you have this responsibility and you're not, I don't know where your head's at, but you need to get your head back in. And so at first I'm shocked and embarrassed in front of all my, everything else. But then later when my emotions kind of calmed down, I went, wow, because do you think for the rest of that practice, I was laser focused, listening, and that game made a difference. It made a difference in my life because he poked me and he was, he was realizing I was daydreaming. I was off somewhere. I was not engaged in the game that was going on and what was important. Sometimes a, a loving father, loving coach, whatever, has to poke you, get your attention because you're out of it. You're not paying attention. And this is very, this is serious stuff. And I feel that's what the Lord was doing. He's trying to let them know salvation is not by outward performance. It's based on a gift on the inside. Uh, every other religion basically is works-based righteousness, and you cannot earn your salvation. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's read it out loud. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you know where, where hell comes from? Uh, Gehenna, in Hebrew it's Gehenim, and literally it was a valley. So you've got the Temple Mount here and Mount Moriah, and then it goes down. There's a valley that slopes down, and this valley called Hinnom, and it was the place in ancient Israel where they stopped worshiping God and they started worshiping this idol called Molech. And literally, Israel had abandoned worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping Molech. Now, Molech, he said, look, what I want you to do is, you know, leave your wife, go up into the hills, have sex with these temple prostitutes, basically. And then, of course, they would get pregnant. And then they're like, well, look, I'm not bringing them in and dividing my inheritance with these. So what do we do with those babies? And they said, oh, well, in our religion, they're to be sacrificed to Moloch, which was a stone god with his hands out like this. And they would put a fire at the bottom, burn, you know, get it on fire until it's white hot and then bring those babies from that experience. And they put them on the arms where they were literally melted in the fire. That's when God said, done, done. You're out, not here, not in my face, not in my city. Go to Babylon and you can go there and trust me, I will cure you of your idolatry. Well, later that place, what, King Josiah declared that place an abomination and unclean. It and it then became a garbage dump because you know how garbage goes with the flow of gravity. And so it went down to this valley called Hinnom or Gehenna, translated into English, hell. And that's where all the trash went. So they had fire there 24-7, burning the trash of the whole city. And that fire that never went out became a picture of what hell is. Jesus said, you know about Gehenna and the Valley of Hinnom and the place of idolatry and now the continual fire burning the trash? That's what hell is. So you are to avoid that at all possible cost. So he was saying, you guys are, are leading people to hell. Instead, you should be the gatekeepers of heaven. Now, here's what I love. I, the Lord loves those who become gatekeepers of an open gate into salvation. Can I hear an amen on that? Um, I thank God for Billy Graham when I heard the gospel and when he said, it's by grace through faith. If you believe and trust and receive Jesus as the gift and the savior, you can be forgiven of your sins. And so when I heard that, it was good news. And I received Jesus and, and I came to know the Lord. You're all here because somebody was not a gate closer to the gospel, but a gate opener and you heard the gospel and then you got saved and transformed. Now you're to be an open gate by your life, by living from your heart so that others will hear your story, your testimony, the gospel through you and they will say, wow, I, wanna, I want what you have. I need the gospel that you believe in. I need the salvation that you talk about. So we have that opportunity to be the, those who open gates to people that want to come into the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the last one real quick. Hunger for holiness is divine, but greedy for gain is pure loss. In verse 16, he says, woe to you, oi, <laughs> Blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. 
fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift on the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by all who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Now you're saying, okay, what is that all about? Basically, it was this. They, they would, people in those days didn't trust you if you said, well, I'll do this or that. They said, I, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. How do I know you're gonna tell me the truth? So then they would swear. And then you could swear something and they go, yeah, but I know you and your family. You guys are liars, so I don't believe that either. Swear by something real. Swear by the temple. If you do that, oh, God will, you know, get you. And then it was like, well, okay, that's not a problem. But then if you swore, so basically you're making a contract and the guy swears, he goes, but swear by the gold. And what that meant was to the Pharisees, okay, you swear, yeah, by the temple, that's good. But if you also add the gold and then you break your word or your oath, I get the gold. So that's okay. Or you, an altar, you make a gift, if, you, if there's a gift on it and you make a vow and I'm going to get rewarded from that, oh, that's, that's what's really important. And Jesus realized you're into the gold and you're into the gifts. You're not into really honoring God with all of this. You're missing the whole point. So you need to know that God is interested. He looks at the heart. What did Jesus say about swearing in the first place? He said, don't swear. Don't make oaths. He put it this way. Let your yes be Yes, and let your no be no. And beyond that, don't. Don't add or do anything to it. So these guys had a religious practice where they were, it was all about personal gain and it was not about truly honoring the Lord. I wanna leave you with one last scripture and one last story that after Jesus rose from the dead, there were, you know, or actually, yeah, he had risen, but the disciples did not know that yet. And so there were two on the road to Emmaus and they're walking and they're crying and they're despondent because they don't know about the resurrection yet. And a stranger joins them, which happens to be Jesus. And they're going down the road and the stranger says, hey, fellas, why the long face? You know, what's, what's wrong with you guys? And they look at each other, what are you talking about? Did you know what just happened? He goes, no, what? Jesus of Nazareth, miracle worker and all. We thought he was the guy. We thought he was the Messiah. And then they crucified him and he died. And the stranger Jesus says, oh, that's very interesting. But why are you surprised at that? That's exactly what the prophet said would happen. He would be betrayed. He would be rejected. He would be sacrificed. He would be put to death. And so they're going, really? And he goes, but that's not the end of the story. And right as they got to a good part, they got to a bend in the road and the stranger, Jesus says, all right, talk to you later. And they're going in a different direction. And they go, no, 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 no. You got to come to our, finish. We got to finish. So he said, okay. So he goes to their house and he finishes. He goes, you guys didn't wait till the end of the story. On the third day, the Bible says the Messiah will rise from the dead and their eyes get big as saucers. And as soon as he says that, it says he broke bread. And when he broke bread, he disappeared from their sight. Some commentators say that what happened is he kind of had a hood on, he was kind of disguised. But then when he broke the bread and handed it to them, they saw the scars in his hands. And as soon as they saw him, he disappeared. It was the risen Jesus who disappeared. You know where I think he went? I think he was still sitting there. I think he was still looking at them. And, he's say, and they're like, wow. And here's what they said. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Let's read this out loud. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? 
There's the sign of the work of the Holy Spirit is a heart that burns, a heart that is on fire, a heart that is coming alive, a heart that is emotional, a heart that is, uh, you know, seeking and desiring the things of God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.